This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Good morning, church. I'm Pastor Brad Bergfalk. I'm the transitional lead pastor here at Eagle River uh, Community Covenant Church in Eagle River. Delighted to, to be with you today. And will you just join me in a quick prayer as we prepare our, our minds to hear God's word today? God, en- enable us to set aside the, the random thoughts, the distractions, the plans that we have for the afternoon, so that we, for this uh, period of time, might hear your voice speak intimately and deeply to our spirits. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, as you know, we are in, in at the end, you may not know this, but we are at the end of a sermon series that we have called Life Together, where over the course of the last eight or nine weeks, we have been looking at some of the characteristic behaviors of those who are seeking to, to live by these kingdom values in a context, in a community like ours. And so what we have discovered in the last few weeks, and we're going to uh, uh, um, take a look at these gifts, one or these characteristics one by one, but what we've really done is we've kind of built a house, if you will. And so at the foundation of this house that we have built over the last eight or nine weeks, we have discussed the issues of uh, love and gifts and creative conflict and humility. And uh, let's, let's get this house built right now, shall we? Okay, so there it is. Love, foundational, foundational um, concept. Without this, it would be really hard for us to le- live life together. And then the second uh, foundational uh, notion that we talked about is the idea that we've all been gifted. We've all uh, got something unique to offer this community of faith and that when we hold back on that, we're not only um, diminishing the value of the kingdom, but we're diminishing our own uh, value uh, to a certain extent. That's the foundation. And then as the house builds, the next uh, characteristic we looked at was creative conflict. Remember, we talked about how sometimes we think conflict is bad. And so we run from it, we hide from it, we suppress it, you know, in, in our good sort of Nordic, Scandinavian ways. If we, can, uh, if we can avoid it long enough, it will go away, right? But uh, what we actually learned about life together, uh, it, the best way to, to live life together is to face conflict and to creatively try to come to a solution when we find ourselves in conflict with one another. The next uh, building block of our house we talked about was humility. Um, it's really hard to, to deal with people in an intimate uh, space 
with a common vision, and sometimes it requires us to kind of check our pride at the door so that we can engage in sort of a humble spirit and uh, allow God to, to work through our circumstances rather than us always having to, to get the last word, right? And then we looked at uh, the fruit of the Spirit, the, these characteristics that for those of us who are seeking to live in this, in this thing we call life together, we will begin to embody this fruit. Remember I showed pictures of healthy fruit from healthy trees versus unhealthy fruit coming from unhealthy trees. And I said, if, uh, what kind of tree are you producing fruit from? And so that's an important aspect of our life together. And the next characteristic we looked at was uh, coming alongside people at their place of deepest hurt or need and being willing to bear their burdens with them. Do you remember that? Um, and it goes both ways. Those of us who've had people walk with us, who've come alongside us, and who have helped us get through a tough spot in our lives, we then are able to do the same for others. And it, and it kind of goes on forever if we continue to do this in, in, in our attempts to do life together. And then, to top it all off, we talked last week about the generous living, the difference between uh, being generous out of our abundance versus being generous as an act of sacrifice. And I got a phone call this week. This is the first time this has ever happened to me. It was an anonymous phone call. And the person told me their name, their first name. And they said, I just want you to know that I've been thinking about your sermon about generosity ever since you preached it. Thank you. And I said, "Um, well, you're welcome. Do you have a last name? Oh, no, I'm not going to tell you my name. I just want you to know that you, you, you made an impact. You've helped at least one person think about what generosity looks like. I've never had that happen before. So if you want to call me anonymously, please do, if they're, if they're nice things. Um, and then today, today we're going to kind of put the roof on this house, and the roof is forgiveness. You see, we can have all of these elements that we are working hard with, uh, with God's help to embody in our life together, but there will be times in the course of our being together that we are going to have to practice forgiveness. And so this really is the kind of the linchpin, if you will, for our sermon uh, series that we've done. If we can't forgive, it gets really hard for us to do all this other stuff. Truthfully. I mean, and you, you probably know this already. Because if you've been, uh, if you have kids, or if you've been married for any length of time, and you, and you can't practice forgiveness in that kind of uh, intimate context, it's the same when it comes to trying to do life together in, the, in, a, in a church like ours. So we're going to look at, with a little bit more detail at this passage of Scripture that was just read for us from Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to kind of zero in, drill down on the part of, about forgiveness, but before I do that, I want to just uh, pro- provide sort of a framework for us this morning as we uh, talk about forgiveness, forgiving and and receiving forgiveness. So um, let's turn then to Colossians 3. And the first thing that we notice here in this passage is Paul uh, appears, he does not appear, he is essentially reiterating some of those characteristics that we've heard him say in other passages that we've looked at over the course of the last eight or nine weeks. Um, Paul does this routinely when he writes his letters to churches 
um, as he gets to the end of the letter, he always reminds the Christians to whom he's writing, you know what, you know what, this is what it looks like when the Spirit of God is, uh, is, is employed in, in the life of the community. And so he often will list these characteristics, and it's no different here. In this text from Colossians chapter 3, we have him reiterating some of the same characteristics of life together that he has done elsewhere. And he reminds the Colossians, in this case, first and foremost, that they are chosen, not the frozen chosen, just so you know. Those, those of you who are Lutheran, he's not talking about Lutherans here. Um, but he, he reminds them that you are chosen, you have been chosen, you are holy, and you are loved. Chosen, holy, and loved. Now think about that for a second. What would it be like if you and I walked around on most days having this profound sense of understanding that we were chosen, holy, and loved by God at that very moment, whatever it was? I mean, wouldn't that change things? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that change the way we interacted with our circumstances? Wouldn't we approach the challenges and the problems and the people that drive us crazy slightly differently if we understood in any given moment of time that we have been chosen and that we have been made holy and that we are loved? And that's, that's, that's how Paul wants us to begin to think about this notion of forgiveness. He wants us to understand who we are First, then uh, we can begin to think about forgiveness. We have been chosen. This, uh, this is not an unusual idea for us to get our head around. I learned uh, very early on what it means to be chosen or not chosen. When I was in junior high, I loved to play basketball. It might not be obvious to you now, but I did play at one point. Yeah, anyway. Uh, and I, uh, I wanted to grow up and be the next Jerry West. And for those of you who are old enough to remember, um, you couldn't be a better basketball player at that time than Jerry West was. And um, I, I worked hard and I tried out for the junior high basketball team. And I thought I was pretty good because, you know, when you try out for athletics, one of the things that you do is you're always kind of looking around. You're establishing the pecking order, right, of your peers. And if they're going to take X number of players, that means if you can be in the top X number, then you'll make the team. And I had this sneaking suspicion as an eighth grader that I was going to make the top 12 players. And... Um, I went home and told my folks, you know, they haven't made the cuts yet, but I think I'm going to make it. And so when that day came, it was a Friday, I, I think, and the coach said, okay, after practice today, we will be posting the names of the players that made the team on the, uh, on the wall outside the locker room. You can go there. Um, thank you very much for you all that tried out. Not everybody could make it. Sorry about that. Have a nice day. So I just... just uh, Retelling you this story right now, I can feel, I can feel uh, that visceral sense of anxiety that I had because I didn't know whether or not I had been chosen. And what God is saying, what Paul is saying to us, is you have been chosen. There's no question about it. God has chosen you. 
You don't have to be anxious about it. And by the way, I didn't make the team. I wasn't chosen. <laughs> and I had to tell you that because otherwise you'd be coming up to me afterwards and saying, did you make the team? Were you chosen? Uh, it's, anyway, but God cho- chooses us. And we don't have to wait for our name to be listed on the wall with all of the other uh, people that God chooses with us. And then Paul says we are holy. And this holiness is not a reflection of anything that we can do. It is not a reflection of how uh, pure we have kept our lives over the course of our lifetime. It has nothing to do with that. This holiness is imputed to us by God in Jesus Christ. God says, you are holy. Irrespective of the sin and the shame that we carry around with us every day. Wow. This, this holiness that, that God imputes on us is not because we deserve it. It's because that's what God does. You see, our engagement as a person in life together, it's not an accident. Our calling to walk alongside people like the people that are sitting in this room today um, isn't happenstance. Our stature before God does not require us to hide in embarrassment from our sin and our shame. We have to acknowledge it for sure, but we have been made holy. And if that's not enough, folks, if that's not enough, Paul goes on to say, he pushes this a little further, and he says, you not only are chosen and holy, but you are loved by God. We are loved in spite of ourselves. We are loved no matter what we may have done or failed to do to earn that love. It's not about that. We are loved because of the character of a loving God. Chosen, holy love. Wrap your mind around that for a minute. Chosen, holy, loved. That is the pretext for why we are able to live life together. And it's the context for which Paul concludes this passage with the challenge that when everything else goes wrong, in spite of the fact that you are chosen and you are holy and you are loved, there may be times when you need to forgive and be forgiven. And, uh, and then he uses this really wonderful imagery in, in this particular text. He talks about getting dressed, dressed up, put on, wear uh, these kinds of characteristics. And, and uh, it reminds me of, of when we were children, or if we had small children, and can't you remember when they would want to play and they would sneak into your bedroom and take down your suit that's ten sizes too large and put that on because they wanted to pretend that they could fit in that outfit. 
And I think what Paul is suggesting to us as he talks about these, these uh, characteristics of the kingdom, uh, he's talking about putting on stuff that may not always fit us at the time. It, some of these things might feel a little uncomfortable because they're too big. But nevertheless, because you have been called, because you are holy, because you are loved, this is what God offers to you. These are the garments that God is calling you to wear. Now, I, I love this text because I preach it almost um, every time I'm asked to do a wedding. So if you ask me to do your wedding, I will probably preach this text because I have a great sermon on it. But uh, uh, at any rate, um, Paul's intent is not simply that we walk around wearing clothes, clothes that are much too big for us. Paul's intent is, is that by putting these on, no matter how big they may be, no matter how ill-fitting they may be, there will be a time when we grow into those clothes that Paul is describing, asking us to put on. And when we engage, you and I, in life together, and as we put on these clothes of compassion and kindness and patience and gentleness, we are living into the character of Jesus. We may not always perfectly embody the character of Christ that is required us to, for us to live this kind of life together, but by putting on these clothes, we are at least acknowledging that this is what we're shooting for, right? When I grow up, I want to be like my dad. From capable of anything that we, because of anything that we've done, not because of our intellectual prowess, but because God has already chosen us, called us holy, and loves us. And if that, if that's not motivation enough for for these for living out these remarkable kingdom values, I don't know what is. I don't know. So Paul moves from that to his discussion of forgiveness right after this section. And uh, he winds up this discussion about kingdom character by suggesting to us that if worse comes to worse, then forgive one another. Both be forgiven and forgive. And I can almost, it's almost as if Paul can hear, hear us about to make excuses about why we can't forgive, Right? Or, or describe a sin in our life that is so painful, that is so debilitating, that there's no way that we could ever be forgiven by God. It's almost as if Paul can hear us right now making those kinds of excuses, and he says to us, forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven you. Now, some of you are here this morning and you are saying, yes, yes, I want to forgive but the pain is way too deep. You cannot understand how much I have been hurt. To which Paul says, Forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but my spouse violated our marriage vows and then left me to fend for myself with small children and my life has been hell ever since. There's no way that I can forgive my spouse that, that ran out on me. To which Paul says, 
forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven you. But, but you don't understand. When I, when I was a child, I, I was taken advantage of, and now that person is dead, and I don't, I, I, there's nobody who I can forgive. To which Paul says, Forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven you. You see, the reason why we can forgive is not because we are capable of sorting through all of the pain and, and, and sort of talking ourselves into some rational reason why this person who's hurt us deserves to be forgiven. That's not the reason. But that's what a lot of us think forgiveness is. Okay, if you just give me enough time and if I can get my head around it and if somehow or another I can make the, the hurt uh, uh, go down below a certain threshold, then maybe, just maybe, I can begin to forgive. The reason why we can forgive is because God first forgave us. That's why. And, and it's on that basis, it's on the basis of God's generous forgiveness that we have been called, that we are capable of doing likewise. You know, I can always tell if somebody has experienced the forgiveness of a generous God because they are invariably more willing and more ready to give forgiveness to others. And those who have not experienced the unbelievable generosity of a forgiving God, they don't know how. They can't be forgiving with others. They don't fully understand what this is about. One of my favorite uh, theologians named Miroslav Volf says this about forgiveness. He says, But you also should understand that what I have done in forgiving you is possible only because of God. I, I don't mean that God just made my forgiveness happen like some magical trick. To be frank, I am sometimes angry at God for forgiving you. Been there. At those times I ask, what right does the Almighty have to forgive someone for an offense against me? And why should I have to remember the offense against me as an offense forgiven by God? What's even more unsettling, Wolf says, is since my faith teaches that in Christ God has reconciled my offender and me to each other, I have to think of us as already, in some sense, reconciled. That kind of gets at the heart of how forgiveness works. And sometimes, for us to be able to forgive, we have to be able to experience forgiveness ourselves. I had just gotten my driver's license. I was 16 years old. I was really excited to take my mom and dad's 1976 Dodge Dart out and, and troll the streets for hot chicks. That's what, that's what we used to say back then, sorry. Uh, 
And uh, Friday night came, and there was a big event at my high school at the beginning of the football season. We were going to have a big bonfire, and they were going to build, uh, build and burn an effigy of our crosstown rivals. So I asked my mom and dad if I could take the car to that, uh, that bonfire. And in the back of my mind, I really wanted to run into uh, a young woman named Dina because I wanted to ask her to go to the prom with me. So I, I went to the bonfire and I ran into Dina and I stood by her and, and you know, kind of as nonchalantly as I could, the way uh, 16-year-old boys do. And I said, hey, this is kind of boring. Can I take you home? And she looked at me and she fluttered her eyelashes and said, yeah. And so I said, come on, I, I'm driving my folks 1976 Dodge Dart. So we got in my car, and as I'm about to pull out of the parking lot of the high school, I realized that she only lived like four minutes from the high school. And that was not going to be enough time for me to kind of begin this, this relationship that I was hoping that would result from this experience. So uh, instead of going straight to her house, uh, it, it would be like I drove via Palmer to get to her house in Anchorage. So I had a good 40 minutes with her in the car. And we were on this back road, this windy road, and we had the radio turned up, and I was just enjoying the freedom of driving my parents' 1976 Dodge Dart with this young woman in the seat next to me who I was hoping would accept my invitation to uh, go to the prom with me, and I just hadn't had the courage to ask her yet. And as we rounded a curve, a big sweeping curve, and it was a nice fall evening in the Seattle area, which uh, that may surprise some of you, but th sometimes they are. Um, and so our windows were open, and the music was blaring, and um, I stuck my head out the window so that I could get kind of the wind-blowing look in my hair. So I'm driving like this, and as I did that, the front right tire of the car just slipped off the edge of the pavement, and there was about a three-inch drop between the the, the gravel on the, on the uh, shoulder and the pavement. So when I tried to get the wheel back up on the pavement, it kind of stuck there. And so I did what any one-week-old driver would do. I took both hands and I went like this. And by doing that, um, what happened is I went into a four-wheel drift on dry pavement. And I, I was smart enough to know that when you're, the back of your car is uh, kind of looking at you from the side, that you want to turn the front wheels in the direction of, of the back end, right? So I did that, and, uh, and she's just aghast at this point. And by the way, I pulled my head in at this point as well. And, um, and the car straightened out, but I, over, I overturned, and it went into a drift the other direction. And as it turned out, I went off the road, up a short embankment, and as it went up the embankment, the car rolled over on its top, onto its wheels, and back onto its top. And there we sat in absolute silence. I was hanging from my seatbelt. I heard her whimpering in the seat next to me. And I didn't know what to say to her. And you know what song was playing on the radio? And I am not making this up. Paul Simon slipped sliding away. <laughs> I, I'm not making that up. And so I... I I hear her whimpering over there, and I, and I didn't know what else to say. And I said, uh, Dina, do you want to go to the prom with me? 
Well, I had to walk about a half mile to the nearest house. The car was sitting on its top in the middle of a country road, the lights kind of shining off in the distance. And I had to call my parents. And they came, picked me up, police officers showed up, you know, the whole nine yards. And later that night, I'm in my bedroom. And I think the shock of what I'd just been through kind of hit me. And I just started to sob. I just started to sob. What have I done? How have I sinned against the generosity of my parents who let me take their 1976 Dodge Dart out for the first time? And I heard a knock on my door, my bedroom door. My dad came in and he sat down on the bed next to me and I'm just sobbing like crazy and, you know, and he said four words. He said, I love you, BJ. And the only person in the world that calls me BJ is my dad, Bradley James. And it was as if at that moment, the burden of what I had done was lifted. That's what forgiveness feels like. That's what God has done for us. And Paul goes on in this text. And he says that the reason why when we seek to live life together, we need to receive forgiveness and give forgiveness is because there are going to be times when, when our life together requires it. Just this past week, actually it was about three weeks ago now, my wife got a text message from my son, my young son, who we left back in Seattle. And um, he said, I just uh, got in an accident. And he always texts his mother with this stuff because, <laughs> well. And we worked it all out. And he, 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 he ran into the back of a BMW at an intersection. And about $600 later, the owner of the B&W is happy and, you know, our son's okay. Uh, and if you can imagine $600 damage, it was like a fingernail scratch on the guy's car. Well, this past week, um, this same son sent his mother another e email and he said, um, I've just been stopped for speeding by the police. And this is... This is really personal, but I, it seems to fit here. And Forgive me. This was an exchange that he and I had yesterday. And he didn't tell me. I, I learned about this from his mother. I said, uh, how are you feeling, young Padawan? Padawan, of course, is the, is the student in the Star Wars epic. You know, uh, anyway, okay. How are you feeling, young Padawan? So he doesn't know if I know. And he says, he says better. How are you doing? I'm good. I understand you had a little run-in with Officer Friendly. 
Yes, he says, I was driving like a juvenile. I'm so sorry. And then I wrote this. It's okay. Lesson learned. Don't lose your focus on God. School and soccer, in that order. Keep up the good work. Don't get discouraged. Press on. I love you. So how in the world am I able to express forgiveness to a son that's cost me a lot of money in the last month? (laughs) The reason is, is because I know what being forgiven looks like. And I have a hunch there are people here this morning who are yearning to have forgiveness. And you have never believed or never thought that God could possibly forgive you for the, the stuff that you've done. And if that's you, I want you to understand something. Forgiveness is available, even to you. All you have to do is receive it. And there are some of you who are here today who have gone through very painful and very difficult circumstances, way worse than what I've described in my own life, and you have a hard time even fathoming uh, forgiving somebody who has hurt you so deeply. But you know as well as I do that the path to, to, to healing for you and them, whether you talk to them again in your life or not, is the path of forgiveness. And I want to say to you, if you have received, if you have understood the forgiveness of God or the forgiveness of another, then you are well positioned to be able to offer that same forgiveness to that person that hurt you. Life together is not easy, folks. There will be times when we will be able to skate through it and it will be you know, one happy clap of people liking each other. But most of the time it won't. And there will be a few occasions where in the midst of our interacting, in the midst of our relationships, in the midst of our honesty, in the midst of our recognition that we are fragile and broken people, that we will have to offer forgiveness to another and we will have to receive it from another. And Paul is saying to us in this text, now is the time for us to do that. So I I don't know where you are, um, but I think this is a pretty pertinent topic, don't you? And what I would like to do is ask uh, Tyler and the rest of the crowd that's up here to come up. And I'm just going to have them play. They can play whatever. We didn't really talk about this, but you you figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Could you do slip sliding away? Yeah, that'd be good. (laughs) And I want there just to be a moment of silence for us to think about the forgiveness that we have already received from God or the forgiveness that we need to receive from God or the forgiveness that we need to offer to somebody in our life where there's, uh, where there's deep pain. So they're going to play and we're going to think and ponder this and then I'm going to come back up in just a, few, a minute or so and we're going to join together in a prayer that I hope kind of wraps up this whole idea of what life together might look like.
behalf. It's probably not the best prayer you've ever prayed because it's not your prayer, but it's, it's a prayer that I hope um, we can hear on our own lips as a way of expressing our desire to live into this idea of life together. And for those of you who um, have not experienced the forgiveness that God, needs, that God offers you and you need some help or you want to talk uh, any one of the pastoral staff here would love to talk with you about that. And for those of you that have really hard relationships that you need to kind of forgive something that happened and you need some good counsel or a listening ear with that, we'd be glad to help you with that as well. Let's join together and pray this prayer. It's four, four slides long, so don't worry. There will be an end. And allow this to whatever extent it can express uh, your heart at the, as we come to the conclusion of this sermon series called life together. God, we confess that the kind of life together that you are asking us to live has not always been our focus and intention. When we have had the opportunity to love, we have been too busy loving those who love us in return to notice. We have often fled from conflict rather than lean into it for the sake of the kingdom. When you have desired humility, we have chosen pride Rather than expressing the fruit of the Spirit in our daily activity, we've been satisfied to allow our fruit to wither on the tree. And when we became aware of someone's need, we were quick to make excuses why we couldn't help them bear their burden. God, we confess that even though we desire to live generously, our generosity rarely reflects the kind of sacrifice we see in that poor widow. And now, as we consider the gift of forgiveness we have received from you, we are embarrassed to admit that we are often stingy rather than extravagant with the forgiveness that we offer others. God of grace, by the power of your Spirit at work in us, change us into people who reflect the character of Jesus little by little. Give us courage to push past our fears and overcome the challenges that will enable us to experience life together the way you intended it. Amen.